Hello. Thank you for joining us for Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Is anyone here tonight who is of the habit of telling people that your ministry gift is apostle? You might want to take note of what we're going to have a look at tonight. Have you heard of the 12 apostles? They're the rock formations along the Great Ocean Road, right? Well, yes, but the title apostle is of far greater significance. What is an apostle? As recorded in the New Testament of the Bible, an apostle was a messenger, an ambassador who preached the gospel, trained church leaders and established churches. Dr. Corbett is engaged in a series of messages exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church as recorded in the New Testament of the Bible. So why should we give any attention to the writings of the Apostle Paul? Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his look at Corinthians, his topic of focus, the seal of Paul's apostleship. Let's join him All now. right, if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Whenever um, I preach, I try and give the, the why behind the what. And what I mean by that is, firstly, the, the why behind the what begins with why Paul wrote what he wrote to the Corinthians and there was a pretty big why behind the what because what we're about to see here and Paul will have to really enlarge on it in 2nd Corinthians because 2nd Corinthians essentially it just flared up even even more and 2nd Corinthians is almost entirely almost entirely about the issue that we're going to have a look in 1st Corinthians chapter 9. So it, there was a why behind the what initially, but then there's a why behind the, the why we do it now, or the what, what we're doing now, because what we're going to have a look at is Paul's authority, his claim as an apostle. So again, this is part of the series through 1 Corinthians, an exposition through his epistle. And if you've got 1 Corinthians 9 there, it starts off, by saying this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So, what have we got here? We've got False teachers that are accusing the Apostle Paul of not being a true or genuine apostle. And the reason it seems this is the case is because they thought if Paul was a true apostle, he would be a professional apostle. He would be paid to be an apostle. And Paul, when he was in Corinth, saw that there were many traveling philosophers who were speaking and being paid by householders to come to their household and more or less entertain people by how they could speak and there was a skill known as rhetoric and these philosophers had been trained in rhetoric the ability to speak and the ability to speak persuasively Paul hadn't by his own statements had not been trained in that so he wasn't a highly polished speaker by all reports by his own admission as well and so he was copying I guess a lot of criticism as someone who the false teachers claimed he wasn't a real or true apostle by the time we come to 2nd Corinthians 
This had got worse, a lot worse, which is why I said 2 Corinthians is almost entirely about, almost entirely about this issue of Paul's authority as an apostle. And I hope I've already shown you that Paul used a lot of the sayings and the things that the false teachers had been saying sarcastically. And Paul noted that it seems that his critics were calling him less than an apostle and they were calling themselves super apostles. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians that I'm not the least of any of these super apostles. The probability is that he's referring to these false teachers who were calling themselves super apostles. But there's also a practical reason why I think today we need to look at this as well. It's not so much lately, but probably about mm, 10, 20, 15 years ago, there were, particularly in the Pentecostal realm of the church, there were quite a few people who were claiming that they were apostles of the same standing as the Apostle Paul. In fact, one of them, one of these charismatic preachers by the name of C. Peter Wagner, actually claimed when he sold tickets on an airline, filling up seats on an airplane, to go back to Ephesus in Turkey. And he said that as an apostle, he needed to go back and do what the Apostle Paul hadn't done, and that is take care of the spirit of Diana in that city. Because the spirit of Diana was still causing havoc in that part of the world and the Apostle Paul should have known better and dealt with it. I cannot begin to tell you how stupid I think that was. The arrogance of it and the way it led all sorts of people into this thinking that they were apostles of the standing of Peter and James and John and the Apostle Paul is breathtaking. I'm going to say I think the original apostles of Christ replaced as they were when Judas committed suicide and then his position was taken by another who met certain qualifications. And you might recall what those qualifications were. They had to have travelled with Christ throughout the period of his ministry. Didn't mean they had to be in the upper room on that night, although they may have been, I'm not sure. But they had to have heard Christ, travelled with Christ, been with Christ. And we know initially that Christ had a few disciples, as in up to 70, up to 500, it seems. And then toward the end of his ministry, although if you read the Gospel of Matthew, it reads like he had them near the start of his ministry. But at least by the end of his ministry, he had 12. And quite probably... Judas Iscariot came in rather late into that band. And Judas Iscariot was the only one who was not from Galilee, which is interesting. He was from Judea. Now, all of these apostles during their ministry with Christ were granted special grace from God to heal the sick and do other things that Christ describes in Matthew chapter 10 and the other commissioning passages in the Gospels. So it puts them in a pretty unique place. The book of Revelation describes the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And that 12 obviously corresponds to the 12 tribes of Judah 
And I think we've got good reasons for believing that the original 12 apostles were unique because they were designated the apostles of the Lamb. And yet there clearly was a second generation of apostles. And we know that because Paul was one of them. He wasn't part of the 12. But he says he was of equal standing with them because he too had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. So this seems to have been one of the requirements that the early church regarded as necessary. Timothy was called an apostle, Silas was called an apostle, and there were others. In fact, I think I counted something like 27 in my doctoral research on this topic. So here we have these false teachers accusing Paul of being an apostle. So if there's anyone here tonight who is of the habit of telling people that your ministry gift is apostle, you might want to take note of what we're going to have a look at tonight and get a piece of humble pie ready to swallow. I'm calling this the seal of Paul's apostleship. In the two verses that we've just read, in the opening, uh, the opening two verses of chapter 9, Paul has said, I'm not everyone's apostle, but I'm yours. And why does he say that? He's saying that because an apostle did something. He didn't do everything, he did something. And I've heard people say apostles could do anything. They could move in and out of gifts, they could prophesy, they could teach, they could govern, they could whatever. I'm not so sure about that. They were commissioned to do something, not everything. And we see that in Acts chapter 6 where Peter, James and John say to the growing church, it's not right for us to wait on tables. We need to give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. So apostles often had what we can now see is a sphere. Not only this is what they were to do. So for example, the apostle James, the half-brother of the Lord, he never planted a church. He never travelled out of Jerusalem. He was the chairman of the Jerusalem Church Council. He was the one who was sending people out. He was a sender of people, not the one being sent. Well, that's different to Paul and Barnabas, who were called apostles. They were sent by the church at Antioch, which was, by the way, the Apostle Paul's home church, Antioch. Every missionary venture, he goes back to Antioch, to his home. There's not one epistle to the church at Antioch. It was a pretty pretty good church by all reports it was functional so Paul says he was an apostle to the Gentiles and the apostle Peter was an apostle to the Jews yet the call on Paul even though he went into Gentile territory was to go to Jews first how do we know that because he did <laughs> That's how we know it. He would go to the synagogue first. Now, this is an interesting thing. It's interesting because when we get through this chapter, which I hope to with you in this session, I want us to, to take something away from this. Because whenever Paul went to a strange town, a new town, a different town, he went to the synagogue first. The only exception to that would be Athens where he spoke with the philosophers in the marketplace there at Mars Hill. But he went to the synagogue first. Why would he do that? Because it seems the people most 
likely to receive what Paul said were those who were looking for what Paul said. What were they looking for? The news about the Messiah. The news about the coming of the kingdom of God. Who are the people most likely to be responsive to that message? The Jews who are actually looking for it. So we read this amazing statement. If you travel through the book of Acts, you notice Paul would go to a town. Sometimes he would be rejected by the people of the town. The Jewish leaders of of that town would reject him. He would shake the dust off his feet and say, be on your heads. And then he'd go to the next town and he'd go to the synagogue. So what we see here is Paul prioritizing this expression that he uses in Corinthians, to the Jew first. We go to the Jews first. What's the, what's the principle for us here? Sometimes we can not waste a lot of effort, I'm not going to say that, on people who are really hard and resistant. Part of what I think God has called me to do is to be someone in those people's lives. It's not what I want to do. I'd much, I'd much rather be picking low fruit, low ripe fruit. Our recent... Tasmania celebration with Will Graham I think man why don't you give me that gift why can't I just say come to Christ and hundreds just get up out of their seat and come to Christ years ago before I went into pastoral ministry and knowing that I was going into pastoral ministry I was working in retail and I was out the back of a store and I said God and I'm putting a box up into the upper level of the storeroom out the back and this box as soon as I put it on the belt it just went up it involuntarily it like it was going I said God that's how I want to be with you I want your will to be so clear in my life and you, you just take me where you want me to go God send me wherever you want me to go don't make it easy Lord make it hard make it really hard just not Indonesia <laughs> that was actually my prayer God, send me where it's hard. Send me where it's hard. And anyway, welcome to Tasmania, everyone. Here we are. And Paul had this ability, even when it was hard, he would still go there. But even though it was hard, the people most likely to receive what he had to say were the people he went to first. Now, I'm saying that to say that last week we heard Mark Foreman share that when he became a Christian at universities as he was studying law and he went from one week he was drinking beer and playing pool with the boys he came to Christ next week he's playing pool and he's telling these guys guess what happened to me this week I became a Christian and they just rubbished him and gave him heaps and told him why he was a fool and an idiot and how stupid can someone be to believe all that. And as they were ridiculing him, a guy from the next table said, Hey, don't worry them. Come out, come out and play on this table. And he said, I heard what you said to those guys. Well done. I said, Oh, thanks. Anyway, let's play some pool. What he didn't know was that that was the bass guitarist in the church where he'd just gone and given his heart to Christ and they they became best friends and that guy became his best man and there's a point here that not everybody is on their journey where they're ready to give their life to Christ but something about how God places 
people in their life at a time. I hear what Mark said and I think, I wonder how many of those guys playing pool, ridiculing Mark later on, could not handle the stone that he just put in their shoe. Kim and I had an interesting encounter with a, a, a local businessman in Lagana here and, and he asked us to come and see him in his office and we went into his office and he shared, you know, he's making sure the door was shut. He didn't want anyone to hear what we, were, what we were going to talk about and I didn't know what we were going to talk about. But he said, you know, I'm actually really interested in what you guys are on about. I just don't want anyone to know because I've been having some weird dreams and I've been having them for years that there's got to be more to life and I, I really think there is a God. And this is how the conversation's going. And he is still on a journey. But it's a journey that you look at it and you can go, man, oh man, God is doing something in this guy's life. Anyway, Paul could say toward the end of his ministry in Colossians chapter 1 verse 5 and start of verse 6 I thank God that this gospel that I preach has now been preached in all the world he didn't mean the Americas he didn't mean all of Africa he didn't mean even all of Europe he certainly didn't mean Australia so when he said all the world he's talking about his world his world of where Jews were. And in Colossians 1.23, he could say, I thank God this gospel is now being preached to every creature under heaven. And who's he talking about? Every Jew, by the time he had done his 40-year ministry stint or so, nearly 40 years as an apostle, he said, if not I, someone else, has taken the gospel and given every Jew in the empire in this generation an opportunity to turn to Christ. Man, but there was still work to be done. His fear was to go into Gentile territory. That was his sphere. And he says to the Corinthians, Gentile territory, you're proof of that. You're proof of it. So here's my question. What is an apostle? Apart from Christ telling his apostles, his disciples to go, which is part of the word of what apostle means, we read early on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now I want to point out here that when Jesus came, it was the darkest spiritual point in Israel's history. And you could think, oh, pastor, come on, you of all people should know. It surely was the time of Jeremiah. And it was dark, but this was darker. And why was it darker? Because the pretense of being religious and godly had been ramped up at this time. Under Jeremiah, they knew they were, <laughs> they were hard-hearted and cold and far from God. But when Jesus came, it was a really spiritually dark time. How do we know that? Because they committed the greatest sin that could ever be committed, and that is the total rejection of Jesus Christ. I want you to grasp God's timing, because in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, God sent forth his Son into the world in the fullness of time, at the right time. 
Can you hear what I'm saying? The right time didn't look like the right time for low-hanging fruit. You hear what I'm saying? It was a time when the people were cold. The leaders, the religious leaders, were cold and hard. And we find this amazing event described in John chapter 6 where Jesus has just fed 15,000 people miraculously. And then they come to him and say, can we come back tomorrow and you give us more? That's me paraphrasing. And he said, oh, why do you keep... Don't you understand what I really want to give you? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says 15,000 people sent, we're out of here. I don't know what you're talking... And they just left. And that's when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to go too? Peter says those profound words, go. Who else has the words of life? Which I think is Peter talk for, we have no clue what you meant about drinking your blood and eating your flesh, but we're going to hang around and find out what you meant. Which is not a bad way to do Christianity too. Just keep walking with Jesus. But the fact that Christ could do such a profound miracle, what else do we see? We see Jesus raise Lazarus dead four days. There's Lazarus. So what do the religious leaders think? Okay, let's figure out how we can kill Lazarus again. Let, not, not again. Let's see how we can put him to death so he's dead again. How hard. But this is when Jesus came. And this is when he birthed his church at a difficult time, a hard time. It was not, <laughs> it was not a friendly government running the world. It was corrupt. You ever heard of the mafia? You know where they got their ideas from? The Roman Empire. <laughs> They they were just terrible. But this is the backdrop to when the church was birthed. So every time we see our government, our society going down the gurgler, we think, man, God, you were going to do something pretty good with us, aren't you, in this generation? And notice this. What was happening at the hands of the apostles, according to that verse, it says wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And here's the principle we're going to see all through the book of Acts, all through the word of God. Wherever spiritual opposition is greatest, God's response is greater. God's response is greater. So if we're not seeing demons being cast out in our church service, spectacular miracles happening, It's because the Holy Spirit is ministering his grace in other ways that are necessary. (laughs) In fact, if we're seeing our department leaders delivered of demons every Sunday, I think we've got a problem. (laughs) So it says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. So picking up on just those two sample verses of what apostles did, we now read Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he's really got to defend his apostolic ministry and leadership, writing in chapter 12, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians. He says this, The true signs, or the signs of a true apostle, were performed among you with utmost patience. Other translations have endurance with signs and wonders and mighty works. So this was a part of it. And Paul actually tells the Corinthians that when he came, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit and these things happened. 
which is why he's reminding them of it. What was an apostle? An apostle was a messenger, an emissary, an ambassador, someone who came with authority. I've mentioned already that they didn't all do the same thing, but they were sent and they came. What else did an apostle do? An apostle preached. An apostle preached the gospel. That led to churches being planted, people coming to Christ. He then trained or she trained because one apostle mentioned in the list of apostles in Romans chapter 16 is a lady by the name of Junia. We have Phoebe, another apostle mentioned in that list. And they trained church leaders and they established churches. They gave governance to churches. Apostles were responsible for these four things and they all start with D. Firstly, they were responsible for doctrine. Paul's last epistles, Philippians and then 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Have a look at 1 and 2 Timothy, clearly his last epistles. Notice how many times the word doctrine occurs. Notice how often he refers to preaching sound doctrine, preaching the word, preaching doctrine. It's the thing that he, he left this earth having told Timothy, make sure you get this right. Because if you get that wrong, you get just about everything else wrong. The second thing apostles were responsible for was discipline. Which is the point of 1 Corinthians. Discipline. Correcting people who are straying in either doctrine or conduct. Thirdly, development. Paul trained young leaders, Timothy, Silas, Titus. He trained these young men. He wasn't the only one. We have the Apostle Peter training John Mark, the one that caused the dispute between Barnabas and Paul. And later on, John Mark has been taken under the wing of the Apostle Peter. And it was... Hearing Peter tell the stories of Christ, recount the miracles, recount what Jesus had done, that we now have the Gospel of Mark written by John Mark because the Apostle Peter had developed him into a next generation leader. And then the fourth thing apostles were responsible for were direction. We see in Acts chapter 16 that Paul, he was in Asia Minor, which is Ephesus and so on. And now he's going to go north, right past Galatia. And he's just going to go because he's got this mandate, take the gospel into all Gentile territories. And the Holy Spirit says no. And Paul's not one, well, we'll we'll just camp here forever. He doesn't do that. He receives a dream, a supernatural dream that night of the Macedonian man telling him come over here and preach the gospel to us so there was direction to take the gospel to places and territories that it had never been before and paul actually says this that he didn't ever want to build on anyone else's foundation those are the four areas that apostles were responsible for we read in verses four and five of chapter nine where paul says this do we not have the right to eat and drink Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord? That's James at least and Jude and Cephas. Don't we have the right? What rights do apostles have? 
before we get to the rights of an apostle that Paul's going to talk about, what sacrifices did apostles have to make in order to fulfill their ministry? What did they have to go through? Sometimes you can look at elite sportsmen and go, man, that's, anyone could do that. That's easy. Tennis is my thing. I watch uh, Carlos Alcarez, who won the US Open, and I look at this just turned 20 year old young man and I think oh man I can only imagine how hard you've had to work to be able to do what you do unbelievable I watched a Russian male tennis player working seven hours a day in the heat of Spanish sun doing drills on the tennis court and then they showed his hand just completely blistered skin taken off bleeding he said no worries just got to bandage it up just get back out there and do it all again and i think boy oh boy the work but all we see is them you know on the tv cameras playing unbelievable thinking they just were born that way or something like that what sacrifices did paul have to make paul says this again in second corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 are they servants of christ i'm a better one I'm talking like a madman with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own countrymen, my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. Anyone want to answer that job advertisement? (laughs) Because that's what they nearly all went through. So he's just asked the questions. What rights does an apostle have for those that he's responsible for? Or is it only I and Barnabas, he says, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? This is in the context that Paul says, that's my right. But I didn't exercise it. I did not charge you a cent. And we'll see that in a moment. So get this. He's saying, we have a right, if we're going to minister to you, for you to support our ministry. He goes on, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So what do we see here so far? The genuine apostle does what? Is what? What, What's what's the deal here? 
Firstly, we notice for just from that section that clearly the apostles that are genuine are not motivated by the same thing as the false teachers. The false teachers are motivated by fame, applause, approval and perhaps making money from others. So a genuine apostle is rightly motivated. This is important. Secondly, he, as we'll see in a moment, he came to serve, not to be served. Thirdly, he strived to evangelize. His heart was to see people come to Christ. In a moment, we'll read the rest of the chapter. See if you can see these points. And then fourthly, he lived a disciplined life, a self-disciplined life. Let me just share with you, when I hear a preacher say, this week I haven't been able to get to my Bible or, and read it, straight away, I'm sorry, <laughs> you haven't got much to say to me. <laughs> you know, I've heard about this prayer thing, I'm going to try it one day. Now, let's open it, like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not drinking the water you're pouring into my trough. That's not, that's, this is not who I want to listen to. So let's see if we can see these four things. The mark of a genuine apostle. Paul says in verse 16, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Here is heart to rich people. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, he says, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. May God help us to have this kind of heart. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. But I discipline my body, he says, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's self-discipline. It's the kind of spiritual life where you do what you do, read your Bible, pray, seek God, share with others as best you can, even when no one knows about it. This was Paul. And therefore, what do we learn from this? Firstly, don't be easily beguiled by those who claim to be apostles. That's the first thing. We, too, can strive to follow Paul's example and live authentically, not motivated by fame, fortune, Twitter folders, folders, followers, 
<laughs> All folders. Acclaim, TikTok fans, Facebook so-called friends, fortune or people's approval. Secondly, we can ask God to help us to by all means that we might win some. And then finally, we should be challenged in whatever areas we need to be challenged in order to be more self-disciplined to show that we are a slave of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn the lessons that we can see here from the Apostle Paul's devotion to Christ. Father, help us to be apostolic in the sense of these things that we see exhibited in Paul's life. Authentic, person of integrity, completely committed to Christ, but prepared to be all things to all people that in all means and ways we might win some to Christ. Father, help us not to seek the approval, the applause or the acclaim of the crowd, but may we live our lives with an audience of one for his approval, his endorsement, his acclaim. In fact, Lord, may we live for the glory of that one who is our audience. And now, Lord, I pray that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. If you'd week. like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 12 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the marks of a genuine apostle include being rightly motivated, being self-disciplined, being servant-hearted and striving to evangelise. That influences how we live for God. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.